From the beautiful Art House Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My name is Andrew Osinga, and my guest today is Pete Mara. Pete has more crazy stories than we could possibly fit in this one episode. I don't know that I can tell you what he does, because he seems to do a little bit of everything, and I just don't know. He's been a tech CEO. He was the director of a Chinese school in a city that he can't name. He's been a pastor. He was a 20-something millionaire. Uh, We met last year in another country on a business trip where I felt completely out of my league. That we struck up a friendship, and a lot of what you will see rolling out from me here in the podcast world in the next couple months is a direct result of that friendship. Pete was over here at the studio with me, and we were talking, and I just thought, I have to capture some of this. Can I interview you? I asked him. Sure, he said. So I put a mic in front of him, and away we went. This was fun, surprising, and full of great insight. It was a conversation with Pete Mara. Buckle up. But first, I want to tell you about some of the great work my friends at Food for the Hungry are doing particularly with families like Marta's. Marta and her children were struggling under the weight of challenges like lack of nutritious food, poor health conditions, little education, and so many more. One of her sons was even behind developmentally because he lacked proper nutrition and vitamins. As Marta would say, in our household, we only had corn and potatoes to eat. Then one day, her community in Bolivia was introduced to food for the hungry. Marta's family received training about building a greenhouse and growing vegetables and was given a chicken. Day by day, their quality of life began improving, and hope began to spread throughout the village. Today, her kids are doing better in school, their health has improved, they're getting regular protein from the eggs and nutrition from the veggies, and the family is a shining, responsible example to their neighbors about what transformation looks like. So Food for the Hungry's mission is to end poverty by going to the hard places and walking with the world's most vulnerable people. For almost 50 years, Food for the Hungry has been inspired by the Christian belief that every person has intrinsic value and that it's our responsibility to advocate for the poor and marginalized. Food for the Hungry operates in over 20 countries around the world, with over 95% of their staff native to the countries and communities they serve. Like we heard in Marta's story, they are providing life-changing resources such as clean water, medical aid, food, equal educational opportunities for boys and girls, and vocational training. The goal is to eventually leave a community that is fully self-sustaining. And the exciting news is that we can help. How? I'm glad you ask every week. It's very simple. Go to fh.org pivot and join me and other Pivot listeners in the Chicken of the Month Club. That's right, the Chicken of the Month Club. Your ongoing monthly gift of $28 provides two chickens to a different vulnerable family every month. This is both incredible and life-changing. These chickens provide a sustainable source of protein through their daily eggs, which significantly improves the nutrition of children. Since chickens are easy to raise and multiply quickly, families can earn an additional income by selling eggs or chicks in the market. Like we just heard, chickens are the start and a better future is the outcome. And as a special gift to you, I'm going to send you an awesome coffee mug with a little Nashville flair just for fun. That's right, it's got our little club's logo on it, the Andrew Osinga Hot Chicken of the Month Club, because you know I love hot chicken. My hope is that when you drink your coffee or your tea out of this great mug, it will serve as a reminder of the good work that you are a part of to end poverty. You're going to want one of these mugs, trust me. You can see it on my Instagram or Facebook page. It's awesome. You're awesome. Chickens are awesome. Helping people? Awesome. 
ending poverty, incredibly awesome. So let's do it. FH.org slash pivot. And now, my conversation with Pete Mara. You've mentioned a couple times today that you moved family to China in a span of 45 days. Yeah. Let's let's just start there. Tell me, wh- what did you go to China to do? Um, it depends. If the Chinese government's listening, then, you know, I went f- to do nothing. According to the stats, <laughs> they are not, but Okay, that's knows? good to know. So I, I went over there to actually help an organization that was planning Christian schools that were government registered. So okay. we had approval from the government. We were planning Christian schools. Uh, they had had several schools there. And they were they were Christian schools, right? Okay. Yeah, but it, it's it's a delicate balance uh, in China. The way you do things is very different than in the West. But long story short, I'd known these people for about a decade because I'd worked with the underground church movement, training leaders, developing pastors, lay people, those types of things. They contacted me, and it was one of those deals. Every time I was in the city, eat a bowl of noodles together, hang out, have good friends. In what city? Um, yeah, a city, a city. Okay. Uh, and then they would um, they would come back and you know they were pointing to the school that was growing. Well, the first time it was like eight moms, it was like glorified homeschool co-op. Come back again, and next thing you know, there's like a hundred kids. Come back again, there's like three hundred. So this are these, just, are these Chinese kids? Yes, okay. all, all Chinese it's not an kids. Expat not an expat. Okay. Nope. All Chinese kids registered with the government. We were teaching. Teaching uh, in all all the Cantonese or uh, Mandarin and in English. Okay. Following the Chinese government's requirements for language and, you know, the coursework and all that type of stuff. There was no Bible taught. We, you know, we didn't do Bible. We didn't open with prayer. But what we did is all of the staff, American staff and Chinese staff, all Christians, ethos of the school was all Christian. So what was crazy is you just had parents who were loving on these kids and other parents could see it. Because in China, mm-hmm. education's very, very different here. I mean, literally the smartest kids sit in the front of the classroom, the slowest kids sit in the back. No De- way. Way. And depending on how well you do on your test or your quiz, your seat could be moved closer or backwards. But what about feelings? Yeah, they <laughs> that, that, they haven't seen that song yet. <laughs> feelings, right? No, it, uh, they, they didn't care. It's just, it's just so different. It's so hard for us to comprehend as Westerners the pressure that's put on these children. I mean, first, second graders are going to school from 7.30 in the morning till 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Holy cow. Because they get out of school, they immediately go to a special, whether it's violin or soccer or something like that. They get out of that, they jump in a vehicle or on a train, they eat a meal, they get to a tutoring center maybe 7, 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. Then they're in that tutoring center for another two hours. Then they do homework and the actual schoolwork, and then they're getting to bed. And they're doing that seven days a week. Are these is this, Are these like rich kids? Is this uh, I would, Most of them are upper, upper middle like class. Sounds like that's something you have to Yeah, middle class or upper afford. middle class yeah. kids. But you got to also remember they have one child. So everything goes into that one child. Mm. Grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, like everybody pours into that one child. And education's your ticket, right? They're competing against 1.x billion of people. So the competitiveness for what they're trying to do is just, it's through the roof. Now, the other problem is worldview. When your value is what you can produce for the state, Mm -hmm. 
um, that becomes incredibly important. What we were teaching people is that you were made in the image of God. Mago Day is a real thing. And some of you are gifted to be artists and gifted to be mathematicians and all these different pieces. But trying to draw those out of the children was was a new way and a new approach. Hmm. So school went gangbusters. Everything grew like crazy. My family went over, uh, my wife and I, and we had taken some people with us on a vision trip to expose them. You know, again, we had worked in and out of China for, for a decade. Our local community had 65 international Chinese students in our home. Um, as you know, my daughter's Chinese. So we, we just, China's been in our world for a long time. Took them over and they were like, hey, you need to come come help us in the school. I was like, well, I can consult for you. Like, no, no, like, we need somebody to come with us. And this is, again, June. Okay. And And to do what? To to help them scale. Because they had this one school, and they had this big vision that they wanted to accomplish, but they couldn't get the vision. And you're a CEO of a tech company at that point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you— And my wife's in practice. Kids are in private school. She's in practice. So, yeah. All right. So what kind of practice? Uh, She's a physical therapist. Okay. And the children are in school. Everybody's signed up. It's June, right? Like, you're getting ready to start start everything. And I have all these Chinese international students that I'm leading. I've been doing it for years. There's no way God wants me to actually go to China. And where were you living at this point? Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay. And so? So, so we came back uh, from that trip, and they were adamant about me moving there. And uh, every time I got quiet, I could just sense in my spirit the Lord going, it's time to go to China. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I practiced the Jonah school of discernment. You know, you run like the Dickens the other direction, and then, you know, if you get swallowed by the whale, hey, I guess I'll go to Nineveh, right? So, again, I get quiet, and every time it just kept coming back, it's time to go to China. So I got really spiritual, and I sent my wife, got my wife and I together and said, look, honey, I said, I want you to go away for the weekend. I'll go away. You pray, I'll pray. We'll come back, and we'll see what the Lord's laid on our hearts. Knowing, I mean, I knew there was no way my wife would leave the country and everything that we have. I mean, roots established, 14 years there. I mean, like all this, there's no way she'd leave. So I'm feeling pretty safe. Come back, and my wife is like, look, with everything God has done in our lives, everything that he's blessed us with, the skill sets, the experiences, all these things, how do we not go? And what, and did, you, what did you come back with? I about, I about fell out of my chair, man. I was like, oh, that didn't quite go according to plan, right? <laughs> so finally I was like, all right, Lord, like we're in. I mean, we'll go. And in 45 days, we got our the visas for the kids. We closed up. My businesses transitioned her practices and stuff out. Found somebody to live in our house, um, which is a whole nother side blessing that God kind of worked out. Uh, How loaded, old were your kids at this point? Let's see, they'd have been seven, eight, and nine. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and so we loaded up and got on an airplane, flew to China. We landed on a Wednesday night mm-hmm. into China. Thursday morning. We set up my wife's classroom and the school and all that stuff, and Friday we started school. Oh. And it was game on. I mean, there was no time to, like, adjust and learn about the grocery store and get over jet lag. You know, my wife was not a teacher. She had a master's degree in biology and all this stuff, so they, they wanted her to teach, plus native English speaker. And she had a TOEFL, but, you know, to be able to teach English as a second language, but that's not an academic teacher. 
But she loved it. Started teaching first grade. My kids are in a school, and the whole school is like in Mandarin. So their first couple of days, they trying to learn a language and adapt. And but God was good, and it was an amazing, amazing time. And we loved it. The Lord was faithful. A lot of ups, lots of downs, lots of tears. Everybody tells you all the great stories, like, "Oh, it's taking one for Team Jesus." Now there's a lot, a lot of bad days in there. Um, sadness is real. Leaving friends is real. But my kids were able to see God do things that, you know, other people just may never get a chance to experience. Leading underground church network groups, Saturday night gatherings, and houses all throughout the city. So where you were, just a blessing. Was it legal to be a Christian? Uh, it's legal to be a Christian if you're registered. You have to be registered. Right. And you have to be in a registered church. So, you know, it's really interesting when you go over there with me. You know, when COVID's done, we'll we'll head over. But the the churches there, you know, there's expat international churches, which Chinese passport holders are not allowed in. Um, and then there's the actual Chinese churches, which mm. are the ones run by the government. So the the irony is you ask, do you have freedom of religion? Yes. But in a city of maybe out oh, 25 million people, there will be four registered churches. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, not really. You know, you have freedom wow. of religion, but not really. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's go back a little bit. You were a tech CEO before that. How does one go about becoming a tech CEO? Were you interested in technology as a kid? Yeah, Are you interested I, in the tech side of it or the CEO side of it? Yes. Okay. The the tech side for me was was something um, that I I just I've just always gotten. I you know I, I don't I don't know how to describe it. Uh, you know, you're a great great guitar player. You can just sit down and you know you work at it, but you can just sit down and it comes to you. Uh, technology was always like that for me. I, mean, I could mm. figure out databases. I could figure out programming. Like. Once I learned the syntax and the pieces, it just it just came to me. Throughout my career, I worked in in the tech space with with major companies, Pricewaterhouse, Microsoft, um, those spaces. But I always had an entrepreneurial bent to me. I started my first business when I was sixteen, and what was it? Uh, I started uh, sweeping out factories. Where, okay, where'd you? And I got, where were I got you? Where'd you grow to up? Do that. Um, in right where Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania touch. Okay. If you stick your finger right there on the map, you'd hit it. Yeah, that sounds like a place where there would be a lot of factories. Yeah. So you yeah, were yeah. just sweeping. Well, but see, that was the thing. I learned early on. I was like, if I sweep this, I only get paid, you know, six bucks. But if I find four other people to do this, and I can talk them into doing it for $4, <laughs> I make $2 per person, right? So <laughs> even as a young kid, like, I could do basic math. And uh, and next thing you know, I just had, like, a little, little goon squad of people. We were going out and finding ways to make money, bailing hay. I mean, no matter what it was, but I just I started there, and then I did got into real estate. When I was in college, we were flipping some houses and uh, started building websites like in 1988, or I'm um, sorry, uh, 98, 99, for all these companies when websites were coming out. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you know, I bought a book on HTML and because I could figure it out. I was like, hey, and next thing I know, I'm cranking these out for yeah. you know, 500 bucks a pop. 
the, the guitar player in my first band, we were best friends in, in, uh, all, all through high school. We couldn't afford a website for our band because it was like $2,000. We were broke. He bought a book called HTML for Dummies. That was, that was, that was a good purchase for him. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I've, I've just, uh, I was, I was just kind of always in that that mix of space, and and really though, as I transitioned in my career, I, I grew in much more into the project management side, and then the sales side, marketing side, and really just love leading people. I mean, that's really my that's my passion, that's my calling is really leadership development and and helping businesses and organizations, churches, you know, grow and scale. What, what was your faith journey up to that point? Like, did, were you raised in the no, church? No, I didn't. I didn't, um, I didn't become a Christian until later in life, um, late twenty, mid to, mid to late twenties. I I was uh, I was I was pagan with a capital P H, um, <laughs> and it was a buddy of mine from college, classmate, invited me to church in Pickens, South Carolina, which I guarantee you've never heard of. Have you been there? I've been to Pickens. All right. There you go. You and the other 50 people that live there. Yeah, right? No, but um, so I went with him on a Sunday morning, and, you know, this this preacher was just laying down the wood, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm looking at my buddy going, man, what a jerk. Like, you've, you've told this guy about me. Of course, I didn't know what, you know, Holy Spirit or, you know, any of these types of things, but everything this guy was saying was like my life story up to that point. Huh. And I remember I just... He was like, today's the day you're going to decide to follow Jesus with everything you've got and everything you've done before now for yourself. He said, everything from this day forward you do for the kingdom. And, man, I mean, I was just washed over. And I had a, I mean, like radical conversion experience. And I, and I know everybody's journey is different. You know, some people, it's progressive. Mine was, like, radical. And mm. I came out of that place 180 degrees different just a complete opposite direction desires addictions things i had wrestled with and struggled with and lived in gone so it was pretty uh pretty radical type hmm. thing and then that led me to just dive in with everything i could um try to figure things out i'm a ferocious reader so i just started plowing through everything i could find books on you know the bible theology language greek hebrew that led me to then seminary and then went through that whole process and planted a church and pastored churches. Okay, you're going way fast. Yeah. So let's slow down a little bit. So what is your career when you go to this church? What are you doing for money when you when your friend invites you to church? Organizational in consultant and Organ- had my own business. Yep. You had your own business. Yep. Okay, in your mid-20s? Yeah, 20, I'd probably been what, 24? I'm terrible going backwards, That's but fine. 24, 25, somewhere in there. Okay. So do you keep doing that job after your life changes? Uh, only for a little bit. Okay, so what's what's next? D- d- does your faith change? Does that change your vocation at some point? It does. It does. It, it be, because so I was I was very successful, um, and with that success came opportunities to basically fulfill every desire of the flesh that that needed to be fulfilled, and some that didn't. And the irony of this is I become a Christian. I'm kind of brand new at this whole thing. I'm like, wow, well, if I've been this successful without Jesus, imagine how successful I'm going to be now with Jesus. You know, it's like having pocket power. (laughs) You know, I get to pray now. And they said God does stuff when you pray, you know. So so that's my mindset, right? I mean, I didn't know any better. Wow. 
And in in ev- I lost everything. Everything. How? I mean, just uh, my business deals dried up. I had um, problems with a partner, accounting and stuff, finances that I had. I mean, I lost all of it. How quickly? Uh, probably about nine months. Within about nine months of becoming a Christian, I lost all of it. And, and it, it was a lot. A so lot. a year ago, you're rich, you get this amazing job, you're just doing it, you're just waking up, doing whatever you want. You give your life to Jesus. And then a year later, that's kind of all you have. <laughs> yep. So what did you do? I'm thinking, what did I get myself into, right? Because I'm going, this, this isn't how I, th- <laughs> this isn't what I thought this thing was. <laughs> you know, can I take it back? Uh, no, but but it, it was really cool because God, once again, showed me just how gracious God is because in the midst of that, what it really did is it freed me from those last remaining chains mm. that I was tied to where it was still about me. It was about my success, what people thought about me. Um, and it just completely stripped that last remaining bit of residue or kind of ties that I had out. And when that happened, it really allowed me to, to really be freed up to do his work. Cause I, I didn't have one foot in one space and one of the other. I, I was just a hundred percent focused at that point on, on serving the kingdom and not from, you know, I think everybody, I mean, everybody's journey is different, but a lot of people struggle with the fact of, you know, well, if I'm not in full-time vocational ministry, then I'm not a real Christian. Um, I didn't have that struggle. I was like, God God has gifted all of us with certain gifts and skills, and making money is a skill, and helping organizations is a skill, preaching is a skill, music is a Like, we mm-hmm. have all these gifts. Figure out how to use them for the world. Yeah. So I, I didn't have that dilemma but I definitely had to make sure my orientation was not geared around the metric of money and success, and it was geared towards impact for the kingdom. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that was a tough lesson to learn. So, what, like, what did you do practically? Like, what did it what did it look like after you lost everything? So, what happened after I lost everything? Literally, I had uh, I had twenty three thousand dollars in my bank account. That's what I went down to. Like, that was it. That's all, all I had. Had a Apartment and twenty three grand. So did you take a job? So, did you, yeah. Did well, you, I I, w- I had been started to go start, to a church. Yeah. Okay. And you got. It. I didn't. You know. I'm calling my buddy, trying for how this stuff works. So I, I found this church. I was driving. So this is how I picked the church. I was driving down the road one day, and I just kind of got this hunch, like, oh, you should go check out this church. Pull in, go to the church, and come to find out, it was like it was a Dying church. Somebody's place was disastrous. Hmm. I didn't know any better, but everybody in there was very, very mature in age. The church was on its way to being closed. It couldn't pay its bills. Like they were kind of panning out electric bills to see who could pay what for the month. They brought in a guy, uh, a senior pastor, to help them close the church. It was part of a kind of connected system type thing from a denomination standpoint. And I had started to volunteer helping out some some of the youth that were there. It was like six kids. And this guy was like, hey, I mean, you kind of recognize this guy's a good leader. Of course, I'm showing up for youth ministry. So, I mean, let's just give you a picture. Like, I'm their youth pastor, uh, and I have a suit on, right, with a tie, a shirt and tie. So you still in Pickens, South Carolina? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm actually in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at this point. Of course. Yeah, because that's where I had a, a business contract up there. So I had a big uh, okay. major contract up there. And, you know, people talk about where, you know, being hip and relevant and cool is like, yeah, that, that never happened. 
but the the cool thing was is God God was just at work in this place. Fast forward uh, three years later, that church because of God's grace and that that senior pastor who's still a mentor and dear friend of mine, uh, just complete turnaround and just mm. wonderful outpouring of the spirit. Church that became engaged in its community, uh, the youth group just exploded. The the church exploded. I mean, they they went from l- like. 25 people to like 400, 500 every week. Wow. Um, just just amazing God story of, of how that stuff uh, unfolded. But yeah, so I, I, then they got to the point where they, they wanted to, you know, pay me on staff. So I became a youth pastor. And, and if I remember correct, I think it was like 30, 36,000 or something, mm-hmm. you know, a year. Mm-hmm. Like, I used to make that a month or more, right? And it's just kind of like, wow. Huh. But... Uh, the Lord was, Lord was just showing me incredible things along the way, and developing me, and put great people in my life to continue to nurture me. And I wouldn't trade any of it. Hmm. But so then, how long were you a youth pastor? Uh, I was a youth pastor for about f- three, four years. And while I was doing youth ministry, I was also helping uh, two other guys start businesses. So I was partners now with a couple other guys. So we were running, you know, side hustles. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I mean, I've always, I've always had a couple side hustles running. And then we, we were also at that point, um, unbeknownst to me, getting ready to meet my wife. Hmm. Did you guys meet in Sioux Falls? Uh, we met in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. I'd been praying about trying to get some help for the, some of the female students in my youth ministry. Guy I was on his board sends me a note. I said, "Hey, I need I need somebody to contact." So he gives me Heather's information. I email her a list of ten questions. She still has this email, by the way. It's kind of funny, but emailed her ten questions. She emails me back. Emails me back. I have no idea who she is. No, uh, you're I, just looking for somebody just to looking volunteer, for information. right? With, I just with like the youth group, right? I need to know. Uh, she lived in Kansas, right? I'm just like, wait, I need, so wait, I you're need in resources. you're in South Dakota, yeah. She, she lives, lives in Kansas, Kansas, and you meet her in Atlanta. I'll get to that part. Okay, yeah. Right. <laughs> so the uh, just make it sure. Just yeah, yeah. Sure. No, you got your geography right, right, man. It's good. She lived in Kansas. I'm in South Dakota. Send an email. Ten questions. Ten questions come back with answers. I'm like, great. Mind you, I have like zero desire to be married or any. I guess not even on my radar. Several months go by, and Lord wakes me up in a dream at 4:20 in the morning. It's like, you're going to marry Heather. It's the only time in my life I have ever just... And, dude, I'm a quarter Pentecostal, right? So, you know, for anybody <laughs> yeah, out there that... Quarter. <laughs> I'm a quarter. Like, I, you know, I, I can kind of roll with my AG friends, but I, that, like, totally freaks me out. I'm like, Jerry Maguire, bad pizza, what just happened here? So, like, a good Christian, because I'm still a newbie at this, I write it down in my journal and I start praying and stuff, because that's what you're supposed to do. And I was like, well, God, if this is really you, bring her to North Carolina for our board meeting. Well, about six more months pass, and I get a phone call on, like, a random Saturday from the, the guy I was on his board. He said, hey, uh, so-and-so's mom has cancer. He's got to leave the board. My wife and I have been praying, and we're going to invite Heather to our board meeting that's coming up here in October. I just, I mean, I almost dropped the phone. Again, I don't know how this prayer thing works, but I'm going, wow, they were praying. Like, how's this? So lo and behold— I go to Atlanta with a couple other guys from the ministry. They were in Asheville, North Carolina. So we drive down to Atlanta Airport to pick her up. 
And what do you say? Like, hey, God said in a dream we're going to get married. Have you mean, never seen her? I've never seen her, dude. I don't know what she looks like. I don't know. I know nothing about her other than by that point in time, you know, they had told me from a board standpoint, she was a physical therapist. Uh, her dad was a pastor. And she'd answer these 10 questions. And she answered those 10 questions. It's like, that's all I know about her. So met her in Atlanta at the airport, and that was kind of overwhelming. Um, and yeah, and, and she's just a beautiful person um, inside and out, amazing. We sat there, had the board meeting. Fast forward, long story short, that was October. We got engaged in December and married in April. <laughs> you know, so moving to China in 45 days. Is, yeah, she's, I mean, she's been on the ride since your speed. the beginning. Yeah, 16 years and, you know, three kids later, and she's still my best friend and, and partner in ministry. I mean, I, I could never, never do what, what we've been able to do ministry-wise um, without my wife. She's She's by far the... She is the 9.5 out of this 10 equation. I'm like the 0.5. Everybody that meets her is like, wow, we just love Heather. <laughs> you know, and, it, and you're kind of like, so what, what did that mean, you know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so where where do you live then when you get married? She's in Atlanta, and you're in... Well, she's in Kansas. Or she's in Kansas, yeah, and you're in, in Kansas. Sioux Falls. We get married. She moves to Sioux Falls. We do some more time there in ministry together and then I moved to Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury Seminary, finished up my seminary uh, there and then we stayed in Kentucky till we moved to China. Okay, so, the, so what what did you do for a job in Kentucky while you were starting um, your family, getting your MD? Yeah, I had life? I had like I mean great question again, it's always hard to explain cuz I'm so I had I had a consulting practice that I was running that was focusing on leadership development. Um, and, and technology integration for organizations. So somebody's in that, say, $3, 4000000 million a year number, wanting to get up to 6 to 8, I'd come in and help them scale up their leadership teams, their technology systems, their marketing, all that type of stuff. And, and I'm doing that while I'm going to, going to seminary. Then I ran an innovation lab and an incubator for new business startups and, and did that for a couple years. While I was doing that, I planted a church with a good friend of mine from seminary. Uh, like as you as the pastor? Uh, well, he was the senior pastor, and I was the, the director of um, Release Ministries, which was like our discipleship and outreach stuff. So we co-pastored it. I drove to Louisville every uh, Sunday for almost three years. How far would drive? Like an hour and 40 minutes. Wow. Yeah, when your buddy in seminary says, hey, man, uh, just over a random lunch, is like, hey, man, if I ever plan a church, would you help me? Say no. Right? Just say no. It just saves you so much. No, I'm just kidding. We had a great time. I mean, that that's a huge time commitment. It was. It was. I, I'm one of those guys, though. I, I um, If you're on my friend card, like you're on my friend card, like I'm, I'm paying in. I said I would, no matter what it costs. I'm 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 going to show up and I'm going to do it. And we just had I mean we had such a great time. He's so gifted. I mean, great preacher, great pastor. Uh and to be able to start something from scratch with with your own DNA. Mm-hmm. Um but I think he was glad when I finally left. So no, we're still great friends, but I mean to give you an example of how crazy I am and again, I'm I'm kind of an enigma, right? Because I'm showing up in a suit for youth pastor work, right? So I'm kind of a button-down guy. I mean, you know me, right? But there's this whole other side that people never get to. Well, he's getting ready to preach this sermon about sexuality in the church and all this stuff. So I go back to the soundboard, 
and I load up the song, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's, <laughs> and, and I'm like, hey, guys, I was like, we're going to play this. And, and all the, the sound guys, right, and the band, they're like, no way. No way. Like, Brian will kill us. He'll kill us. I'm like, he's not going to kill you. Like, so I'm like, all right, get out of the way. So I'm pushing everybody out of the way. I load in this old CD player, right? And he steps up there, and he's like, good morning, everybody. You know, welcome. And I'm like, play. Dun, 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 dun. He looks back. I mean, if looks could have killed, man, I would have been dead a hundred times over. But, of course, the, the whole church erupts into laughter, right? And, and it set, set a great mood for what would otherwise been a really awkward sermon series. Sure. But I just did that kind of stuff to him all the time. But he's one of my best friends, so that's, that's the price you pay. That's amazing. Okay, so, uh, so you, you step away from the church to kind of run more fully that your own consulting company at that point? Yeah, at that point, uh, I did that, and I was doing a lot more around missions mobilization, mm. um, groups and teams wanting to mobilize, and I was working a lot with international students. So my wife and I ran a ministry to local college students, so international students that traveled to the yeah. U.S. For, for college, uh, primarily Chinese, but a lot of kids from China, Ethiopia, Vietnam. Um, like I, I, oft, I often joke I have 65 Chinese daughters Right, because these kids just over the years, of course, now they've you know they're gone on and they're married and have kids and all this stuff. So it's just a blessing uh, to be able to pour into those lives for so many years. But we we spent a ton of time um, pouring into that from a, a local ministry standpoint, and then still helping missions organizations. So I spent a lot of time helping international ministries that were trying to scale in other countries. I'd, I'd had the fortunate opportunity to work in about 60 countries professionally. So I just had a, a very different kind of worldview that allowed me to, to connect with a lot of those different types of people and kind of help folks navigate those mm-hmm. cultural challenges. So when you when you moved to China, then did you did you only do the school like for work? Because it sounds like you always not. have like a thousand things yeah. going on. So I landed, I landed over there and actually started a business in China. I still have one over there that's running. Although in the COVID world, it's a little bit more difficult. What's the business? Uh, they're a cross-cultural company. So they focus on preparing international students and organizations. So students that want to come over here and work or Chinese organizations that want to learn about American culture to be able to do business and stuff over here. So hmm. we have like programs that they can run through and training materials for them. And then we actually will meet and I'll meet with the executive leaders and and help them actually figure out how to structure things, put things together. All the like little cultural pitfalls that they otherwise wouldn't be able to, to navigate. And then I work with kind of local governments here and local governments over there to, to bridge up companies or organizations. So that's I did that on top of running the the school thing. Crazy. That's fun. God gets you into a lot of good things, man. Yeah. Now, but now we're talking here in Nashville. You clearly don't live in China anymore. When did you leave and why? So we, we left China last year. Um, actually, two weeks ago last year, we came back. Hmm. Um, it, it was uh, all, all, I think, part of um, God's timing. Um but my my wife actually collapsed while we were in Thailand and mm. thought she was going to die. So it was a very scary time. What happened? Uh, we found out she has an aortic aneurysm. So on her heart, coming down into her heart, uh, big aneurysm. It's like 3.6 centimeters or something. And they're like, yeah, that could burst. And um, 
So she needed to come back to the States to make sure she had access to medical treatment and that we were able to get get everything kind of straightened out with the aneurysm, find out if, is it, if it was it growing, is it tearing away from the heart, all that kind of stuff. Of course, now, you know, we're, we're, we're back a year into it. Still a little bit wrong. Kids, everybody misses, miss China and all those things, but it was definitely the right decision at the right time, mm-hmm. and, and we're, uh, we're glad we were able to get back and get her taken care of. Yeah. And everything was okay. She has a, another checkup in January, and if everything's clear on that one, then, then we're good to go. Mm. So... Was it harder to move to China or to move back to the U.S.? It's hmm, a good question. I, I think for us it was harder to move back to the U.S. Really? Yeah, because I, I think I, I always make the statement, it wasn't our family's first time to use chopsticks, right? So we had landed, and even though we came in kind of hot, um, we'd already been there. My, my, my boys had already been there. My daughter was born there. Uh, we didn't adopt her till she was five, um, you know. So she's only what seven, and we're heading back. Gotcha. Um, so she knew the language right, so anyway. Right. So she, she, you know, she was, was kind of yeah. like, "Hey, you know, this is this is great." Um, hmm. So I, I think the transition back was was harder because we just we'd spent so much time with so many Chinese students, so many people from China, so many friends from there, people that we loved. It was just such a gift to be able to get over there and and live in the culture and spend time with the people. And then coming back, uh, you know, we come back under pretty difficult circumstances. Um, We weren't really ready for it. I mean, we'd sold our house. We expected to be over there at least, you know, five years um, was kind of like mentally what we were preparing for until the the thing came up. And then you kind of come back in the U.S. and, you know, it's a very different political climate and those types of things from when we left. Yeah. Um, Kind of out of all that. So it was, yeah, I'd say coming back was harder. Wow. Do you feel like you've settled in yet or do you still feel? Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, and, and there's tons of people. It's funny because I used to help people cross-culturally, you know, make these adjustments, mm-hmm. but both uh, out and back. General rule of thumb is it, it, at least two years just to get your bearings mm-hmm. again, um, no matter which way you're going, two years, you know, in, out. Uh, it takes it takes about two years. Time. Yeah, and, and some of it's just practical, you know, like you come back, we, we're we're at, we're reflecting on this year, and it's interesting that we have just as we're making progress, COVID hits. Yeah, you know, and, and for people that have moved around a lot, they kind of get it. But if you're somebody that's been rooted in the same community, which is beautiful, right? I mean, we'd spent 12 years and or so in one spot there in Kentucky. You know where the grocery store is. You know what what car dealership or mechanic to go to. Like you have all these things that are just this subliminal kind of comfort yeah. that you don't think about. Um, you know what restaurants are good. You know where the deals are, the specials, the schools, the teachers, like all that kind of settledness happens. And when you find yourself in a new space, none of that is settled. So wow. even even small things feel like they're big things. Yeah. But, yeah, I, th- I think the, the beauty in that, though, is it helps us rely more on God um, and not in this kind of weird you know, God's got it all under control, not in that kind of way, but just in a way that, man, the, the guys in the Bible, those families, when they had to say goodbye, when they left, mm-hmm. like there's real tears, there's real adjustment. There's, you know, you go east, I go west, uh, mm-hmm. you go to that city, I'm going to this city. Like that's all part of the, our narrative. That's part of our story. And I think it has helped us connect more to that story and it's helped us have a little more empathy for people that are also feeling displaced, 
or out of their uh, kind of cultural comfort zones. Yeah. So it's been helpful. Wow. That is wild, man. Well, are, is there anything you're excited about working on right now in your new phase of life? I am. I have, uh, I'm, I'm super excited about an, some podcast channels. Oh, yeah, that are, podcast uh, stuff, yeah. Some podcast stuff that I'm working on that might be coming out. Um, really look forward to blessing the church and people with that. Um, my wife, uh, we're super proud of her. She's getting ready to launch uh, a new book, so she's got that coming out. Mm-hmm. She's a women's health physical therapist, so she focuses on that stuff, and it's really been fun to see her take her her training and some of her life events uh, and struggles and, and now put that into a space where she can kind of bless other women. So that's been that's fun. Cool. Has this been, uh, has this kind of shut down, locked down? I, I, I imagine being a family from the U.S. in China, you probably spent a lot of time close-knit with your family. Is this allowing you kind of some more, more time like that? Or does it feel different that you guys are locked down and together? Or is it kind of like, oh, we've been doing this for a long time? Yeah, it's more like, yeah, we've been doing this for a long time. We we didn't realize we we're the weird people until you realize like other people are, are freaking out and that that's not normal. You know, I don't have a TV and people just think I'm nuts how do you watch 30 rock right they're like how do you well we one we didn't watch a lot of tv anyway before china when we went there we didn't watch any tv because it's all in mandarin (laughs) right like i mean and it's all communist so like the only thing you can watch is whatever the government wants you to watch which i don't understand all of it anyway and yeah uh, it, it just didn't make sense so we just found ourselves creating other norms like playing games playing cards you know doing things together as a family um, more so because that other time where we kind of typically use it to escape, mm-hmm. you know, and, and watch programming or those types of things, we just didn't have that option. Yeah. So when COVID kind of hit, we we're still in the same rhythm. Um, so you just you know, break out, break out the board games, break out cards. Played a lot of cornhole in the backyard. You yeah, know, my man. kids are now at the point where they can really take it to me. So everybody wants to beat up on dad. I don't know what all that's about. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a, it's been a good season. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for making time to chat. It's been so fun. No, man. Thanks for having me. It's always uh, it's always fun to come to the Ville. That's right. Absolutely. Love it. Thanks, dude. Thank you, Pete. You are amazing, dude. Pete has a couple new podcasts that will be coming out soon. I will keep you posted on what those are. And um, it was a treat to get to talk to him. Thank you guys for listening. Please support the Chicken of the Month Club, $28 a month. Sends two chickens to a family in need somewhere around the world. It changes lives. It is so huge. And you get a great coffee mug out of this, guys. fh.org slash pivot. Please sign up today. As always, thank you for listening. Thanks for posting about this, for leaving the great reviews on iTunes. That really does make a huge difference. You guys are the best. It's an honor to do this for you. Stay safe. Stay home if you can. And now, go do something awesome. Awesome.